0: Go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And what a great study. I don't know if Pastor Cliff and I have done a great job with it. That God knows those things. But what a great study the book of Ephesians is, is it not? When you think about what God has called us to and what, what God has provided for us uh, as his people. And last week we, we talked about that we, we have our redemption in him. In other words, the forgiveness of our sin... And and the fact that we have been bought back by the blood of Jesus Christ, and now we are the chil- the very children of God. What a what a blessing that is! But today, Paul goes just a little bit deeper of what that means. What does it mean to you that you're a born again Christian? What it mean, What does it mean to you that you are a child of God? I mean, is it is it just uh, like I've heard some people talk? They kind of approach it like this: Well, now I get to go to heaven, and that's true. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, now now i get to live forever with god that's that's good that's wonderful but what does it mean now i mean who am i as a child of god what have i received as 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 a follower of jesus christ and a believer in jesus christ i mean is it just that i'm now i'm more religious than i was before is it is it that i'm 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 a better person than I, was, than I was before? I don't know. That's really true, Steve. I know Steve's not. I'm going to pick on him. He picked on me all night Friday night, so I'm going to pick on him. Uh, I, you know, sometimes we just say, I'm just a better person now. And unfortunately, there are some people that will say, and I'm, I'm certainly better than those lost people are. No, you're not. But what does it mean? What have we received as the children of God? Let's put it this way. What is our inheritance as a child of God? If you are born again, God is your father. Praise him. God is your father. Okay? And at a certain level, most of us know what it means to have a father. Now, unfortunately, there are some even in our church that they don't know what it means to have a good father here on this earth. So they've had to trust in their father in heaven. And he has showed himself faithful and good and merciful and gracious and loving and and the one who provides for him. And, And praise God that he does that. But you now are, you and I now are the children of God. We belong to him. And so, as his children, he has an inheritance for each and every one of us. And this inheritance is guaranteed by him. Now, I want to tell you something. When someone puts a guarantee on something, now, you've all bought something, you've all entered into contracts, and people put these little guarantees either in the contract or in the, in the warranty that they, that they provide for you when you buy something. Has it ever crossed your mind saying, I'm not sure this is as good as the paper is written on. <laughs> and sometimes life has shown us that it's not as good as the paper that it was written on. You do understand that a guarantee is only as good as the person offering it. There are some people that are very good. And and we like to we like to promote those kind of businesses. This is the kind of business that not only tells you does a good job from the start, but if something goes wrong, they're going to be there to make it right. Well, God has given us guarantees as his children... And they are part of the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. We talked about this last, actually for the last three weeks. It's all in Christ Jesus. Everything we are, everything we will ever have is found in Christ Jesus. So read with me this morning. I'm going to read verses 11 through 14 for our passage today. And here's what is written for us. Notice what's verse 11 begin with? You are weak. What does verse 11 begin with? In Him. How many times have we heard that as we've already been? Only 11 verses or 10 verses in in Ephesians chapter 1. Over and over and over again. You think Paul wants us to understand something? If it's in Christ, you must have Christ in order to receive what's in Him. Which once again is the reason why our call to a lost world is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they can't even begin to experience the promises of God until, first of all, they're in Him. Because every promise of God, as we learned last week, is amen in Christ Jesus. It is so in Christ Jesus. So we must have that relationship with God through Christ Jesus in order to experience everything that is found in Him. So again, verse 11. In Him we have obtained... And inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him, once again, in him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, a promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And I like that last little phrase there because that's That's the truth of everything that God does in us and through us and for us. It's to his glory. It's to his glory that all these things take place. Here is... An eternal truth. A commitment. And a promise. Take your Bibles and turn very quickly over to Romans chapter 8 with me. And those of you who know me, that my favorite chapter in all the Bible is Romans chapter 8. I love how it begins, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends by saying, I'm convinced that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in the middle of that, Romans chapter 8, and I want you to look with at verses 16 through 18 with me, and here is what he writes for us. He says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may Uh, be glorified to him. And then look at verse 18. I love how, how he puts it here. For I consider the sufferings of this present age or this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. His glory. To his glory all these things exist. In him all these things exist. God has called us to himself. And what a wonderful, gracious, heavenly father we have. You know, and I, I, I have to be reminded of this, and I want to remind you of this: that God didn't choose you, God didn't call you, God did not save you, uh, as a demonstration of our worth, or even as an expression of the fact that He, or of or, or, or some fact that that He actually needs us. He has saved us by His grace, and if He is obligated to save us, then it's not grace. What is God's motivation then, you might say? Well, I guess i I kind of hesitant to, to attribute motivation to God as if I can figure this all out because I cannot. But what the Bible does tell me about it is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So if I have to look for a motivation on God's part, it's not that he got something special when he got us. But his motivation would be that God is Love. God is love, and because He's love, He has poured out His grace. That grace is not that grace is free from our position, but that grace is not free, uh, or, or, or want to say, not costless from His perspective, because it cost Him the Son, uh, His one and only Son, who died for our sins. Now that that has happened, what Paul tells us in Romans eight, we just read, that we are heirs with Christ. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, he reminds us that because we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, we have a promised inheritance that God has for each one who belong to him. Our inheritance that Paul tells us about in this passage includes the ability and even the reality of having a genuine relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, did you hear what I just said? the ability and even the reality of having a genuine relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that sounds like a lot of words, and I guess it is, but, but what I just said to you is huge, church. Do you understand that at one time you were estranged from God? Do you know what the Bible says about each one of us? We were at one time at enmity with God. In other words, everything we were was contrary to God. We were a rebellious people. We were a sinful people. We were a blasphemous people. And God in his grace and mercy called us, and we talked about this even last week, called us unto himself. And he saved us. Which, praise God, He saved us. But what I want you to understand here, now He's trying to say to us this, that part of the inheritance of that that saving work, that redemptive work of Christ, is now we are able to have, and God intends for us to have, a genuine relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, most people don't mind religion now they might they might mind your religion compared to their religion but overall most people don't mind religion and I would say to you religion itself actually becomes a hindrance to what God has called us to have with him in other words God has called us to have that relationship with him if it was all about religion I could never call God my father if that's what it was about if it was all about religion, I could never have genuine intimacy with the Creator. I ask you this How do you talk to God? And, I, and listen, I, I get the thing about, well, I'm going to be respectful. Of course. I'm going to do it in godly fear. Of course. But the next thing I want to ask you this. Is how do you talk to God? Well, a lot of experience through the years. I've heard some of the greatest prayers of all time, prayers of all time. Not necessarily because I consider them to be the greatest prayers of all time, but because someone told me they were the greatest prayers of all time. And and I always it always runs I'm a cynical kind of guy when it comes to this kind of stuff. Well, how do you know they're the greatest prayers of all time? I've shared the experience before when I was at Wayland Baptist University in Plainview, Texas, and uh, uh, we had chapel. You had to go to chapel. Now, we, of course, we learned how to put someone in our chapel seat when they did when they did roll and then run over to the next chapel seat. Anyway, I won't I won't confess all that things, but you had to go to chapel or you got demerits. <coughs> so, we had chapel. President of the university gets up there and say. Now we're going to have Dr. So and so, the pastor of whatever Baptist church out there, and he is the great, one of the greatest prayers of all time. So he gets up and he begins to pray and orate in such a way that words that big. I, you know, and I've been over to my friend over there and I not I hope God understands what he said because I didn't understand a word he said. <laughs> How do you talk to your father? Listen to me, church. God is not impressed by our verbiage. He's more impressed by your heart. How do you talk to your father? Do you ever just spend time with God where you just, I mean, really share your heart? Talk about about your doubts, about your fears, about your insecurities. I mean, when you where you can just talk to him. We've turned prayer into almost a religious act that has to have all these different kind of ingredients in it when God just sometimes just wants to hear what's going on in your life. You say, well, Tony, God knows what's going on in my life. Of course he does. God knows all things. How special is it when you get to sit down with someone you honor? Just someone you honor. And and they bend an ear to listen to what you have to say. Now, church, I'm trying to tell you that the creator of the universe wants to hear what you have to say. And he's not looking for religious verbiage. He's not looking to be impressed by, by by the words that you use. He just wants to hear from your heart. You see, that is possible to to have that kind of intimacy with the eternal God because of what Jesus did. It is part of our inheritance. I wonder, and I know we can't do this physically, but I wonder how many of you have ever just crawled up into God's lap, as it were, and just spent time with your father, letting him love you because you were hurt so bad, because you were so afraid. There's something in knowing that your father is there for you. Am I right? Even on this earth, I remember, and I, I remember as a, as a kid. And you know how you are as a kid. Every time, as a kid, every once in a while you have to look underneath your bed to make sure someone's not underneath there. And then I remember when Uncle Gordon, when we lived over on, on on Delaware Street when I was a, a little kid, and and for some reason we lived right by the tracks. I always had this dream that the train jumped the tracks and chased me all through town. I don't know why. And then there were those nights when I when I thought that somebody was outside that window, and I didn't dare crack that 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 uh, the 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 window coverings because they'd be looking in at me at that time. You know when I had those times, when my dad mostly when my dad was on the road, when dad wasn't in the house. But something very wonderful when dad was in the house, there really was a feeling of security. Just knowing dad was in the house. I'm not trying to be irreverent here, but I really want you to see the intimacy here. Church, child of God, your father is always in the house. He's always in the house. And you and I get to experience that kind of intimacy with, with almighty God because of what Jesus has done for us. It's part of our inheritance. I do get to call Him Father. Not, do I get, not only do I get to call Him Father, but I get to experience Him as my Father. I get to cry out to Him, Abba. Abba. Daddy, if you will. Do you hear my cry? And he does, because it's part of who I am now. It's my inheritance. As a child of God, nothing will, not listen to me, and I know it doesn't always feel this way, but nothing will ever happen in your life. Nothing will ever happen in your life that God is not completely interested in, and that he does not care for you enormously. And now sometimes we feel like we're all alone. And sometimes we even feel, Father, I don't know, I don't sense your presence. Father, are you there? Father, do you care? And when we cry out from a heart that way to our heavenly Father, I believe he will always affirm, yes, I'm here. Yes, my child, I care. Yes, my child, I will be everything you need and I will not let anything touch you. Part of our inheritance is the ability and even the reality of having that kind of intimate, genuine relationship with God through His Son Jesus Christ. Now, Paul carries that a little bit more here and he, and he, and he moves it from the realm of just the experience of God's presence, as wonderful as that is, to the reality that we can, we can act, listen, we can actually know and do the will of God which someone who's not in Christ Jesus just can't. I do one of those things. About a week and a half ago, we got news that one of my favorite Bible teachers went to be with Jesus. Now, long before he died, he suffered from dementia and moving into Alzheimer's. But God used him in the lives of a lot of young pastors, particularly when I was a younger pastor. His name was Henry Blackaby. He wrote a wonderful book called *Experiencing God*, and he talked about how, in the basis of of, of of his ministry was that I received that blessed me was was the, the subtitle was that was knowing and doing the will of God. The ability to know and do, both know and do the will of God. And one of the essence of of his teaching that I, again just changed my ministry. I used to be a goal-orientated pastor pushing people, but changed my ministry where he taught us biblically that it wasn't so much that we were on mission for God, which is a, a lot of how churches are done. You get out there, this is our mission, you get out there. But what was true is that God is always on mission. God is always working. God is always doing what he does. And here's the good part. God has allowed us to join Him in what He's doing. Now, the basic approach for most churches is, you go out and do what you feel like you need to do for God, and then ask God to bless you for what you've decided to do. Rather than discovering what God is doing, and just understanding, because He's your Father, He wants you to be a part of it. So Paul reminds us even in this that we have now, as part of our inheritance, this wonderful gift to know the will of God, but not only know it, but to do the will of God. Isn't that wonderful? Someone said to me one time, "Well, Pastor, I just just tell me what the will of God is." And then, you know, my my response is usually, in my, at least in my head, is. You know, I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you what I've discovered through the years, the best way to discover the will of God for your life is to be doing the will of God for your life. Now, that sounds like double talk, but it really isn't. If you and I would open this book, know this book, receive this book, receive this truth, and respond to what he says here, and do what he has shown us right in here, then he will show us, He will expand that, let me put it that way. That's what I mean by to know the will of God and to find out and discover the will of God is found when we're doing the will of God. Please do what God has revealed to all his children before you expect God to show you anything extra. By the way, why would he show us anything extra when we're not even doing what he says here? But part of our inheritance, and it's wonderful when you think about it, is now I get to, to know what God is about. You ever talk to lost people? They seem like they're wandering all over when it comes to who God is and, and what God, what's important to God and, and, and what God's doing and they, 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 they don't get it. But once you are a child of God and you have a relationship with Him, He begins to, re, to reveal through His Book through his word, through other Christians, and in, in relationship with one another, and relationship with him, and and and, and through prayer and those quiet times, and also in obedience, as I said, to what his revealed word is to a uh, will is to everybody. He begins to show us much more, and we can know his will, and we can do his will. Matter of fact, he wants us to do his will. And then Paul tells us this, because we are the children of God and because we can have that intimacy with him as our our father and because we can know his will and do his will, think about this, our very existence in that realm brings glory to him. Because genuinely, genuinely, church, is not about us. We're not here to, for self-promotion. We're not here to impress people with how good we are. We know better than that. But our existence, our walk, our knowledge of his will, our doing his will, our joining him in the mission that, that he is on is all about bringing glory to him. As you live your life as a child of God, who do you want people to see? Do you not want them to see Jesus? Part of that life that we live as being those who are heirs of God and joiners with Jesus it, it, it is that, that life we, we call it our, the testimony of our life. And that testimony of our life is so that people might have the opportunity to know that God exists and to know that that Jesus is the way to the Father. And when they see how you and I live, they see, man, there's something different about them. And the Bible instructs us to be ready, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's found within you. So when they see that you are different and you're living different and you have different priorities and, 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 and that God's important to you, Then they need you to be willing to open your mouth and tell them why. You need to testify to your testimony. I did that on on Tuesday morning. You need to testify to your testimony. Your testimony is the life that you live. Everybody sees it every day. It's either a good testimony or it's a bad testimony. But hopefully it's a, a testimony, a way of life that reflects Christ. And then they say, why are you different? Why do you see it that way? Why are you kind when other people are unkind? How do you hold on to those truths that you that you find to be so important? I, I just don't understand. How do you do that? That's when you get to testify to your testimony. And by the way, church, it always works together. A life that has been transformed, and you have to tell the world how that happened or who did that. But that cannot happen until first you and I are children of God. And then we have received that inheritance that that comes through Jesus Christ. Again, the ability and the reality of having a genuine relationship with God. That's seen in every area and every aspect of our life. Second thing that Paul wants to tell us here about our inheritance, and you'll see this in verse 13, is our inheritance includes being sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. I like that term, being sealed. It's not the first place that is spoken of in the Bible. Probably the most famous place that most people know about is, is the book of Revelation. And God talks about the first group that he talks about being sealed. That is, that is being, being identified. That is being protected. That is being uh, a, a people that belong to him. Well, you have the 144,000 that John talks about in the book of Revelation. And then he talks about later on the ones that 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 are uh, have not taken the the mark of the beast or the seal of the beast. That's a, that's not a good seal to have, but are who are sealed for redemption. Well, when you think about our inheritance, you are sealed of God. Here is what that means: God knows you, God has you, God protects you, and God will listen. God will hold you. Do you understand that your salvation is in God's hands? By the way, I'm going to tell you this. You don't want it in anybody else's hands. Some people tell me, no, no, my, my salvation is in my hands. Whether well, you're about to lose something. How many of you have never lost anything? How many of you have never dropped anything? How many of you have never stumbled and fallen? You know what I'm saying? I'm saying we're imperfect. And there is a limit on our ability to hold something. To keep from stumbling, to keep from dropping. How many have ever been mistaken about anything? I thought I was wrong one time, but I found out I was mistaken about that. Okay. Okay. How reliable are you? And I, I like the one thought. Well, I'm, I'm more reliable than the next person. Or I'm just as reliable as the next guy. Well, who's the next guy? And how reliable are they? When we talk about being sealed of God or sealed of the Holy Spirit, the, the picture that is drawn for us there is that we are in His hands. And he not only protects us in his hands, but he protects our inheritance in his hands. How many of you have four oh one K's and four oh three Bs and they got all these numbers and stuff like that? How many of you are holding on some of those waiting to retire? How many of you are living off of some of those right now as a retiree? How good do you feel about those things? Let me get a few dollars in your wallet right now. I'm not trying to get your money. How do you feel about that? And when one guy said, Well, I'm going to take most of my money out of the bank and put it, hide it in my house and stuff, what, what good's that going to do when the money loses all the value? Because well, I'm just going to say, Well, I'm just going to get gold. I'm not saying these are not unwise things, but what are you going to do? You're going to take a hunk of gold down somewhere and chip some pieces off when you, when you buy a loaf of bread? Our dollars are promissory notes. That's not to scare you to death. Our dollars are promissory notes from the United States government. that make you feel good? I always say, I'm going to just say it. This is my bias. The only thing the government does good is the military. Other than that, it really is a crapshoot. So who's holding what you are relying upon? Where do you find your security? Here Paul reminds us that a part of our inheritance is that the Holy Spirit holds us. He is our seal. Now how many of you have gone through water baptism? Okay. Why? Why? Now, that can be a tricky question because I know some people say, well, that's how I was saved. Can I tell you something? No, you weren't. I've said this before. If you go through, go into that water unsaved, you will come out of that water unsaved. That water doesn't save you. Why don't we do that? You understand we don't save lost, excuse me, we do not baptize lost people. We baptize saved people. We don't baptize unbelievers. We baptize believers. And of course we do that in obedience to what Jesus Christ told us to do. But why the baptism? You understand that baptism was not not birthed in the first century church. It was already going on before the church was ever birthed. Jesus was baptized of John. Remember that? Sadly, uh, Someone sent me a a thing on a child's book about Jesus. And it actually said in there something similar to this. Jesus was baptized for the forgiveness and the cleansing of his sin. I hope you understand how awful that statement is I just made. What does baptism do? Why do we do the ritual or or the water baptism if it doesn't save? Well, of course, it is a testimony of our faith. It pictures for us the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what it does is that part of that testimony is it identifies us. And quite literally, the Greek word baptizo means two things. It means to immerse, but it also means to be identified with we talk about being sealed of God, in other words, our identity has changed. We talk about how in Christ you are a new creation. We talk about in Christ, as I said earlier, that you now are a child of God. And part of the inheritance is you now, I love this thought, you and I are now identified from heaven above as children of God. And the Holy Spirit has sealed that. He has identified us as such. He has marked us as such. You see, God will never have to wonder who his kids are. He'll never have to wonder who belongs to him. And part of our inheritance is he wants us not to wonder if we belong to him. Do you get what I just said? said it to you last week in 1 John chapter 5 where he says, these things I have written to you that you may know, that you may know. He wants us to be assured of the fact that he has received us and he has redeemed us and he has forgiven us and he now calls us his own. When I talk to somebody, I say, do you have, I don't use the term, are you a Christian because it means nothing in today's world. But have have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you a child of God? Has your sins been forgiven? And then my, their response is, well, I hope so. I said, oh, listen, God doesn't want you to spend your whole life hoping this is true. He wants you to know. And part of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a, of a child of God, part of our inheritance is that we can know that we are the children of God. Quite literally, I'll put it this way. I know who my Father is. I know Jesus is my Savior. I know God is my Father. And that's not boasting on anything from my part. It it brings me to my knees to think that he would receive me. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Cliff talked about that we are adopted. And that he has chosen. He knows you. Listen, he knows you and he still has received you. He knows me and he still adopted me. And then he wants you to know you are his. It is so important that you know that you're a child of God. And he has given us the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, Jesus met with his disciples just prior to going to the cross knowing that he was going to leave them and they would not see him in the same realm they had seen him for three years now. And you remember that he gathered them in that place and he began to teach them and he said these things. He said, I'm going to leave you. And he actually says, and I want you to know something, it will be to your benefit that I leave you. And I'm sure they could not conceive what he's about to say. He said, but because when I leave you, I'm going to send Paraclete, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And guys, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Why? Because He's going to take everything that I have and He's going to give it to you. And everything that He does in your life, everything that He does in your life will glorify me. And when He works through you, as He works, through you, bear witness. Of me, Jesus said. And the Holy Spirit will be with you. All of your life. And be everything that you need. You see, Paul reminds us here of what Jesus was trying to share with his disciples there in the Gospel of John. He, the Holy Spirit... Reveals the truth of the gospel in our life. And he brings us to a place of belief. And once we have been brought to that place of belief and we have responded to his, his call, then he seals us and identifies us in Christ. And from God's perspective, once you to think about this. You are no longer a sinner from God's perspective. You now are a child of God. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. If God ever perceived you or saw you, as a sin, you or me as a sinner, we could not enter into heaven. Again, Paul in the book of Romans says, you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the sealing work, sealing work of the Holy Spirit of God. That's how he identifies us in Christ. God receives us in his son, Jesus Christ. When God receives one of our loved ones that leaves this world and goes into heaven, he doesn't receive us or see us in our unrighteousness. He sees us and receives us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's possible because the Holy Spirit has transformed us and sealed us, and identified us in Christ Jesus. Well, let me lo- lo- move on to the third point, because we're running out of time here. Verse 14. Here's what it says. I love this verse. One of my, again, one of my favorite verses in Ephesians, where he says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? So what does that mean? It means this. That the Holy Spirit is not just the guarantor of our redemption and our standing and our sealing in Christ and our salvation. Notice what it says here. He himself is the guarantee. Now, God does not stand on the outside just dispensing stuff to us. The intimacy of God is that when you are born again, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. Paul puts it this way. You and I are now the temple of the living God. That the Holy Spirit lives within us. And once again, when when we talk about salvation, it's not, it's not just that God's standing up there in heaven and go, Okay, you've trusted Jesus, zap, you have salvation. Jesus is our salvation. He's not just a dispenser of salvation. He is our salvation. And the Holy Spirit, for we who are saved, is not the one who just sits up there in heaven and says, you know what, I guarantee you, when you die, you're going to heaven. No, He indwells us, and He is the embodiment, if you will, of the guarantee of God. His presence and who He is, is our guarantee of salvation. Why is that so important? Because let me ask you. In heaven, on earth, or in hell, who is greater than God? Of course, the answer is nobody or no one or no thing. So I'm going to say this to you, child of God. If God said to you, if you will respond to my spirit, I will forgive you of your sins. Through Jesus Christ, I will make you my own child through Jesus Christ. I will give you my Holy Spirit who will indwell you and who will teach you and guide you and do all those things he does. But he will be the guarantee. He will be the guarantee of your eternal salvation. If God says that, why do we sit around wondering whether or not we have eternal life? Who can challenge God? Who can make God out a liar? And the answer, once again, is there's nobody. Again, from a religious perspective, and I guess it's acceptable to another, pe- another people, that to have a deity in their life that just merely gives them promises. The Christian faith is the only faith that the promise... Is a person. It's not just a statement. How many of you know that words are cheap? Yet, when it comes to biblical Christianity, words are not cheap at all. Matter of fact, Jesus himself is called the Word. So our salvation is not based merely upon a promise. It is a promise, but it's not based upon just merely words that are offered from a deity. Our salvation is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? When we say we trust in Jesus. We don't just trust in what he did. Yes, we need to trust that. We don't even, we don't even just trust in what he promises. Yes, we need to trust that. But we trust in him. Do you understand the distinction I'm trying to make this morning? We trust in Him. My salvation is in Jesus Christ. Not just from Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. And that which God has given me as His child is the the guarantee. And again, not a guarantee. The guarantee. Who is God Himself? The Holy Spirit. Some people think we are arrogant because we would dare say that we're saved. That we would dare say that we are the children of God. That we would dare say when we leave this world, we're going to go to heaven. That we're arrogant. But it's not based in arrogance. and it never can be based in arrogance. It must be based in humility, understanding that none of these promises that I just talked about are based in what I've done or who I am or how good I am or, 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 or how religious I am. They are all done based upon, you'll see this in chapter 2 very clearly, based upon the grace of God. i'm encouraging you to stop treating our god as just another religious expression some some head of another religious group who dispenses doctrine and and promises and and words and stuff like that and start saying it's all together different when it comes to biblical christianity because every promise is in christ jesus Salvation is in Christ Jesus. And the assurance of salvation is in the Holy Spirit. And the promise of that salvation being eternal is guaranteed by the one who is the guarantee, the Holy Spirit of God. Do you not, and I hope you do, see the huge difference between man-made religion where people try to do their best to live up to whatever their deity says In biblical Christianity, which is based upon the fact you have the eternal God who literally and intimately lives in you and is your life. That is our inheritance. So, well, Pastor, what about heaven? Heaven's great. I'm kind of looking forward to being there. And I'm not downplaying heaven at all. But I think we miss so much. If we don't understand that you have received the inheritance of God now. And if you want a little bit of gravy on those mashed potatoes, heaven. Heaven. I'll ask you to bow your head with me this morning.